0: Okay, let's start. We are up to chapter 11. I think of chapter 11 as Shaul's finest hour. Um, Shaul's trajectory is really kind of tragic, and we see him starting off being so amazing, so, you know, special, and you know, toward the end of his career, things really go downhill. But in this chapter, we see him really um, coming to his potential and taking care of a very serious problem. And um,
1: it's actually a very inspiring story, I feel. Okay, so we'll screen share. Okay, so we start here. And here we see that
0: Perek Yud Aleph is kind of a short parik It's only 15 psukim. And in, in this edition, right, this always has sort of a division for us. This edition, you only have one story. It's basically one narrative. I would define it uh, further. I mean, I would divide it further. I would say there is the, the challenge of Nahash, and then there's the the approach to Shaul and Shaul's response and the aftermath, and I would divide it into four ways.
1: Well, let's take a look here. Hold
0: oh, a second, let me roll it back. Okay, Pasik Aleph. So we have a lot of things that we have to explain here, and we need to go backwards somewhat in order to understand. So first of all, who is Nachash Amoni? And it appears that Nachash, which means a snake, is a generic term for the kings of Amon. And although we do find other kings of Amon with different names, but Nachash seems to not be his personal name. But it does sort of give you a clue that we're not dealing with a very nice person. His name is Snake. We also don't love Amon. We don't have a great history with Amon. So these are two things to bear in mind. Gilad And he encamps against Yavish Gilad. So now we have to ask ourselves, what is Yavish Gilad? Where is Yavish Gilad? Why does he camp against them? And why does he do that now? So we have to go backwards in time to remind ourselves, when did we last hear about Yavish Gilad? <clears throat> so we're going to go back to Shoftim, chapter 21, okay, and at the end, this is the last chapter, say, for Shoftim, the tribe of Binyamin has been decimated in the civil war in the aftermath of the terrible incident of the Pelegish Begiba, the concubine geba. After this concubine is raped and dies, the people of Israel fight against the tribe of Binyamin. And although this is a long and drawn out situation, at the end, the 11 tribes win over Binyamin. And Binyamin is left with 600 men. And they have a problem. Chapter 21 talks about the problem.
1: Excuse me in The problem is, that we, they, people of Israel had sworn, right?
0: We have, they swore not to give Binyamin their daughters for wives, which was, I guess, you know, like most vows taken in the heat of the moment and was a mistake. And they decided, and this is all a very uh, complicated story, they decided that perhaps there's someone who didn't make this vow. And when they check all the people who came to fight Binyamin, they discovered that this town, Yavish Gilad, had not participated in the war. They had not come. And their solution is to make war against them, right? And they sent their 12,000 men, and they struck the people of Yavish Gilad, and they took away only 400 girls who had never been with a man. and they matched them off to 400 of Binyamin. And if you remember the story, the remaining 200, they snatched from the girls who danced at Shiloh. So what's actually going on here with Yabesh Gilad? Let's let's take a look first
1: where this is. Okay, so in general, uh, in general, you
0: could see Yavish Gilad is right over the the border, the Jordan River, okay? This is Menashe territory. However, the people of Yavish Gilad are probably no longer Menashe.
1: Let's think about this. Who lives in Yavish today? I mean, today, at the time of this story, the, the town
0: of Yavish has been wiped out, okay? I, I just, I'll take a moment, because I don't like to give over such a terrible story with that, giving some clarity. The reason that the people of Yavesh were punished in this way is because it was determined by the leaders of Israel at the time, the leaders of all the tribes, that they cannot allow separatism. They cannot allow people to say, we don't feel like participating in this war. I'm sure that anyone who's listening to the news lately Here's the echoes of the great debate that we're having now where because of politics some members of the Israeli army and air Force don't want to participate. this cannot be it cannot be the army has to be above politics and I think anyone with a you know a straight thinker has to realize that the army has to be above politics so when a, tra- uh, a group like Yabesh Shkilat says, we're not participating. They're actually making a major rebellion, which is going to you know, go back and hit everyone in the face if they're not punished. It's very extreme. The whole story is very extreme, but the rationale is we can't have people saying, well, we don't feel like fighting this war. We're not participating. So Yabesh Gilad has basically been wiped out. There are
1: 400 remaining daughters are married to which tribe? Binyamin. And who's from Binyamin? The new king, Shaul. So therefore, we have to
0: say to ourselves, what does Amon, who's right over here, what does Amon know about the strategic uh, target that he's chosen? He's chosen Yavesh Gilad. Most of the people Yavish Gilad are related to Shaul. It's actually a direct attack on the new king. If there are other people living there, and the other are about this whole story, if there's other people living there, there are, you know, uh, from Meruva and Ogad and Menashe. That's that may be, but when we saw Yavish Gilad last, they were being taken over by descendants of Binyamin. Now, I just want to add one point here. We don't know when the story of Pelegesh Begiva happened. It could have happened at the beginning of the time of Shoftim, which means it's completely, you know, it's overturned now a few hundred years later. Or it could have happened at the end of the time of Shoftim, which means it's very recent, all of these things. There is a medrash that Sha'ul, well, Shaul got his wife from one of those girls at Shiloh. You know, I think I mentioned that to you when we did Shoftim, that he was very bashful, Shaul, but he was very good looking. So all those girls were out there dancing and the, the men of Binyamin were supposed to grab a girl, but she grabbed him. It's very, very cute medrash. But it does assume that that medrash assumes that the story of Kudlagash would never at the end of Shoftim and not the beginning of Shoftim, which is something we don't know. In any event, there we are with Yavesh Gilad. Yavesh Gilad is a problem. And when Amun decides to fight against the Jews, he picks this town. Now, there's a number of things going on with Yavesh. Okay. Um, First of all,
1: they're separatists.
0: They don't get involved. They don't have, and this is going to, you know, uh, hit them in the face now because now, okay, why should we help you you didn't want to help us okay again we said there is has been a population shift but there's still not uh, not a um, excuse me there's still not a uh, very you know popular town at this point so what's the story with Yabesh but we see here that if Amler attacks Yabesh, right, he is a attacking a town that really he believes nobody cares about. And B, they're uh, part of Shul's family, a lot of relatives of Shuhul, a lot of B'nai bin Yamin. And C, he's got he's got an issue here, and I think that we have to clarify this. go back, we'll go back to the end of Parachiid. right? If you recall, there's a whole coronation situation where, uh, you know, Shool, Shool's anointed by Shmuel at the beginning of chapter 10. But at the end of chapter 10, there's this sort of lottery, and there's this whole thing, and everyone is like, yay, yeah, yay, yeah. Amala, long live the king. But there's this group, the last passage, by Yevzuhu, Mincha by And the evil people said how this one help us and they despised him and they didn't bring him a gift and he was silent. Okay, so we have to take into our minds, right? The thought
1: that in politics, image is important. Shaul has now come across as weak. First of all, the whole lottery thing must look to the neighbors, the neighboring uh,
0: um, countries who are enemies of ours. It's like, what's going on with this lottery? And then they get this guy who's not famous for being a warrior, and he, he's challenged by people and he doesn't do anything. And so that projects weakness. And that is when our enemies attack us, when we project weakness when we project division, when we project um, uh, lack of unity, all this stuff is just make your enemies happy. And I really, I hate to say this, but you know, history always repeats itself. If you, you know, George Santayana's famous comment, those who forget the past are condemned to repeat it. If you look at Jewish history, here we are in the three weeks, and the Beit HaMikdash was destroyed because of Sinat Chinam, because the Jews couldn't get along with each other because they couldn't come to common ground. And to see to see it playing out again in our times, um, real Sinat Chinam, uh, terrible division. The only one who's happy with that are our enemies. Those, the only ones, those are, are it's food for them. It's a feast for them. It's very, very sad but look what happens. Now the Gemara, the Gemara in Yoma talks about Sha'ol. According to the Gemara in Yoma, the approach of Nachash is a punishment for Sha'ul, because he did not stand on his cover. Now, elsewhere in the Gemara, but I didn't have that for you, elsewhere in the Gemara in the we go through the list of people who have a certain amount of honor, and are they allowed to um, be meichel, to forgo their honor? For example, the Gemara says, Av sheh machal machul. A father who forgoes his honor, is it's okay. His his honor. It's okay. In other words, for example, and I think I mentioned to you this before. If you have your seat and your children are not supposed to sit in your seat as a parent, and your kid says to you, "Daddy, mommy, can I sit in your chair?" and you say, "Okay, that's fine." However, this is not true of a king. Melech A king can never forego his honor. And what's the reason for that? I think it should be fairly obvious. The king's honor is what? What does it represent? It represents the honor of the country. And I think that we feel that if we look at countries around the world today, I name no names, where the leader of the country makes the people feel honored, where the people feel they are well represented, and where the people feel they're being led by someone who is, you know, less than what they want for a leader. So we have this idea that you cannot, as a king, forego your honor, and yet Shaul, will, well, he's quiet because Shaul hasn't transitioned yet to being a king, and so he lets it go.
1: And directly afterwards, along comes Nachash. So let's go further. Okay. Okay, so that's one
0: thing we should remember that strategically, there are times when our enemies are paying very close attention to what's going on with us. Time number one is when there's a transition in power, and they're watching who comes into power and how they're going to relate to them. And two is when there's division in the nation. These are two times of great danger for any nation because enemies can take advantage of that. Now, when he comes, and he cancels Yabesh Yavesh, Yomu call on she Yavesh al-Nachosh, brit Unanimous surrender. The people of Yavesh don't lift a finger. They're completely convinced that they are done for. And they say, make a covenant with us. We will be your servants. Now the expression a brit" to cut a covenant has very specific um, uh, etymology. We always have this expression of cutting a covenant because there used to be, like, if you think of the brit of Tarim in Brachus, like, so Abraham cuts these animals in half and goes between them. There is an element of cutting. There's a lot. Uh, most of the covenants that we talk about in the in the time of the Tanakh involve some kind of cutting, B'rit milah. And so they say, cut a covenant with us and we'll serve you. In other words, what do they want to get out of it? They don't want to get killed. They don't want to fight. You see from the previous story that these people are not interested in war. And they say to Nachash, okay, you won. What would you like? We'll be your slaves. And this seems, first of all, it's very reprehensible. That there's not one person in the whole place who says, you know, let's you know stand up for ourselves or let's just you know get some uh you know backing and it's like okay, you know, you won. Right. And they're willing to be his servants. Classic bet. Okay, fine, I'll make a covenant with you, sure. On one condition, bin korlachem kal enyamin. Punch out everybody's right eye. I'll call Israel, and I will make a disgrace for all of Israel. And now we're like, oh, 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 the people of Yavish Gilad wanted to make a covenant that no one would kill each other. We will serve you in their minds. We will bring you tribute. We will, you know, do slave labor for you. Just don't kill us. But along comes Nachash. He says, "No, no, my condition is, I'm going to gouge out everybody's right eye." And this is just—I mean, you can imagine this is kind of a horrific situation, and that's one that anyone can like say, "Oh, sure, that's a great condition. We'll go along with it." They're kind of horrified. So we have to kind of figure out what what's Nachash up to here. What does he want to do? And there's many, many. Um, Explanations, but if you take a look at Rashi, right, he says, "Kemashmal,"
1: right, and the um, uh, yeah, I think the duck says
0: also, Radak and Rashi say, is just literally he's just a cruel and evil person, and he wants to do this because he's cruel and evil. And the second half, he's explaining what is his purpose. I will make a herpa. Now the word cherpa is a disgrace, going to dishonor the whole nation. right? If I come into this town and gouge out everybody's right eye, I'm going to make the entire Israel pathetic, an object of uh, disgrace, humiliation. So that's meaning number one. Meaning number one is he's just being cruel. Okay? Um, the mobbim says, I am but a prove that I'm conquering, and this is my proof,
1: right? The,
0: the Chazal, the different Midrashim go into different directions here, and they're all very interesting. So um, in the Midrash, Shmuel, Levi says, this refers to, call Enyamin all the warriors of Israel, which is interesting because we're talking about Binyamin. So Enyamin sounds a little bit like Binyamin, but Binyamin were actually left-handed warriors. So that's kind of interesting. The, um, that's uh, Rav Levi, Rav Simon says, we're talking about the Sanhedrin. There are other places where the Sanhedrin is referred to as the eyes of Israel. So he wants to kill the Sanhedrin and that's another Expression. But Rashi brings a third me- medrash from the Yalkut, which is very interesting. Medrash Agadah from Yalkut: "Have really sefer Torah from Bring me your sefer Torah. Shnit nami the I will burn it. Al bo lo
1: yavo Okay, so we're going to look at that. Okay, first here. Okay.
0: So there is a sort of, God is giving the Torah with his right hand. We really don't know exactly what that means, but it does say elsewhere in Devarim, right? This means that an Amonir Moavi is not allowed to marry a Jew, Never. Ten generations and more, and Amonit and Mobi is never allowed to intermarry. Of course, the, uh, the Gemara comes up with the exceptions, which are um, Moabite women. Um, the story of Ruth is one example, or maybe the example. And Amonit um, also marries into the royal family, Later on, the family, the son of Shlomo. But here we get the reason. Because they didn't give you, they didn't help you. They're anti-chesed people. And they give you bread when you left Egypt. And they hired Bilam to curse you. And Hashem didn't want to curse you. He made it a bracha. And zayelotidrosh shlomam b'tovatavak liyamechal olam. Never inquire for their welfare. Nothing about them is good. They're anti people, and we don't want to know anything about them. Going back to the text. So Nachash, according to Rashi, is offended by this discrimination against Amonim, And he says, give me your eye and your min, your Torah, which is like your precious as your right eye, and I will destroy it because it says bad things about Amon. And it's interesting that historically, you know, our enemies had this sort of interesting attitude toward Torah where they either want to take it for themselves and make it theirs and pretend it's it, it was always theirs, or they want to destroy it, like the Romans. Let's nobody's allowed to study it and we'll burn it. And um, it's very interesting. Now let's talk about the cherpa for a minute. Cherpa, we're talking about disgrace. So one of the things we have to think about. Taking out an eye is something that is
1: indicative of slavery. We take a look here. Oh, where are we? Hmm. right?
0: If a man hits, strikes the eye of his servant or his maid servant, and it was destroyed he must send him free because of his eye, or if his tooth he knocks out, he has to send him free. These are uh, ways that a, um, a Kanani slave goes free. This was a, a thing that they did. They would brand their servants with this sort of thing. Now, we always also have at the very beginning here, that if a person wants to become a slave, They could be a slave for six years, right? And the seventh year has to go free, unless he says, I wanna be a slave. And then he has to have a mark, a mark of that. What's the whole point here? The whole point is that slavery is a herpa. Slavery is a disgrace. And in Shoft, in Yoshua, the very famous comment
1: that Yoshua makes in here, it says, Oh no! Where's Yeshua? Yeshua, right? When the Jewish people cross the Jordan, come into the land, right?
0: And they have a mass bit milah. Everybody has a bittulah on the other side of the Jordan. Then they have carbon pesach, and then they take over uh, Yericho. This all happens in a place that's called Gilgal because of what Yeshua says here, and Gilgal is where we're going to get to at the end of our chapter here. And Yeshua says, I rolled back the disgrace of Egypt from upon you, and he called that place Gilgal until today. A lot of midrash about why, why um, having that Brit Milah takes away the cherpa, but it would seem connected to the disgrace of being in Egypt, of being slaves. So what Nahash wants to do is say, I despise all of you Jews. I despise your whole country. You're nobodies, you're nothing, you're slaves. The similar thing that the plishtim say in chapter four of Shmuel, if we don't win those Jews, we're going to be slaves, right? And that is a herpa, that is a disgrace. So he is not just out to start up with Yabesh Gilad, he's starting up with the entire Jewish nation and he's sticking, you know, he's sticking a a finger literally in their eyes and saying, guys, you're nobody, you're nothing. And it seems clear that he wouldn't make this threat and this uh, action if Shaul had made more of an impression on him. He's basically saying, I'm going to show you guys that your king is nothing and he's nobody. This is Pasuk Yimel. It's a terrible disgrace. The idea of the Brit Mila should clarify that Brit Mila is proof that we are slaves only to Hashem and not to other human beings. And that's why the Brit Mila takes away the charpah of our slavery in Egypt. And I'm not sure if I clarified that. So now the people of Yavish are like, oh my gosh, this is not so simple as surrendering and we'll give him money and we'll work for him. This is like our eyes. We are not happy with this. But Yomilov Zikna Yavish, Pasakemo, Harif wait seven days. We're going to have now a break. We're going to send messages all over Israel. If nobody's gonna come and save us, we'll go out to you. And that's very bizarre in a certain sense, because why should Nachash agree to that? Right? They say, give us seven days. And they say to him, apparently, and this is what the refreshing seem to indicate, right?
1: Um, Here. Give us seven days. If you want to disgrace all of
0: Israel, you have to tell them. And then if they don't help us, that's a disgrace. But if you just go ahead and want to disgrace us, then that's not really um, gonna, it's not gonna serve your purpose.
1: So the Das Sofram says, why would he agree? One of two things, either he's so sure that he's gonna win that it doesn't matter to him if they wait seven days. He figures, let's see what this
0: Shawl is made of. by And the messengers from Yavich Gilad go straight to Gibat Shaul, which is where Shaul is. And that is very interesting because they said, to Nachash, we're going to send messages all over the country. But they don't do that. They go straight to Shaul. Why do they go
1: straight to Shaul? Again, he's their relative. If, if Shaul won't help them, no one will help them. No one likes them.
0: No one's interested in them. They're the people who stay aloof from everything. Why should we help you? So they know their best hope is Shaul. They go straight to give out Shaul. He's not there. They tell all the people and everyone starts crying. They're all crying. Oh, well, what is going to be? What are we going to do? And... If you think about it, why are they crying? Why are they crying? Is it empathy with the people of Yavish Gilad? Or is it terror that there is this enemy there on the east bank of the Jordan who wants to do terrible, unspeakable, cruel things to all of them? And they just don't know what to do. And Shal has not been tested at all. No one knows what he's made of. So nobody's really very confident here ba mala And behold, hine is always a surprise. Surprise, Shool is coming in after the cattle from the field. And Sheol says to the nation, uh Shul says, What is to the nation that they're cries and we're crying? And they told him what happened to the people of Yavesh. Now this Pasak. Um, gives a lot of trouble to Refarsha because what's going on here? Shaul is coming in from the field after the cattle. What's the problem? A king is not allowed to do menial labor in the presence of three or more people. That is forbidden. So what's he doing in the field with the oxen? So there's a number of ways of dealing with this question. Okay. Rashi says, <laughs> It was just that time of day when people were bringing in their Adam. It was just a coincidence, right? And Mitsuda says they saw, he saw that they despised him, that he wasn't accepted. So, he himself said, well, I, I guess I'm not going to be a king right now, so I, you know, whatever, I'm Just going to go home. And he went to do his thing. The mob has another comment here. He says, we're just being told that it was just a coincidence that he came at that time. He wasn't really uh, working with the cattle. It was a coincidence, but. The point is to know why are we dealing with the cattle? The cattle comes into the next line or two lines ahead. Okay. Ugh. So Shaul is quite shocked. And, you know, this, this, is, this is, again, we have this, you know, this problem with Shaul. Like, are you a king yet? Not a king yet? What's with the cattle? So he's coming in and they tell him what Nahash wants to do. Asikba. And the Spirit of God came upon Sha'ul when he heard these things and he became extremely angry. Now, first of all, the word Vatitslach, I'm not sure if it's etymologically related to Hatzlacha, but in this context of the Spirit, that comes—it's like comes upon them suddenly. It's—it's it's used for the spirit of God. All of a sudden, he's overcome with the spirit of God. So most of the farshim understand it to mean a spirit of bravery, a spirit of of, of you know um, strategy, you know a great greatness coming upon him. But the Abarbanel says it was actually it was ruach hakodesh. It was actually you know the, the first step toward prophecy. And he's just inspired to deal with this in the best possible way. And he becomes very, very angry. Now, the expression Haron Ap is a particularly biblical expression for anger, which we wouldn't use in modern Hebrew, we'd use Kaas. The Torah also uses Kaas, but Haron Ap is very specific. And I kind of love that the art scroll translated this as his anger flared because Ap is a nose. And the reason we have Charon off is because the anger is seen in the nostrils, you know, like the nostrils flare and the people get very angry. So what is this doing here? It's a very interesting comment by the Abarbanel. i always very fond of this comment. The Abarbanel quotes Aristotle, of all people. You never know what you're going to get with the Abarbanel. He quotes Aristotle and he says, anger is a tool of the brave which is very interesting, because we are accustomed to think of anger as a bad midah. but definitely righteous anger has its moments. It has its uses. When you hear something as terrible as this, you should be, a a righteous person should be galvanized to hear to try to help, you know, where a a person who is weaker or, or cowardly is just going to fold in on themselves. It's very interesting. The Malbim talks about it also, but this is this was the great hour of Shaul. He took himself in hand, and he does something extraordinary. Pasuk Zayin, by temid bakar, vayinatchehu, and he takes a pair of oxen and he cuts them up. So I think that anyone who's been following through the story, who went through the story, the terrible story of Pilegish Begiva, is having echoes of that awfulness. After the prelegish dies, the, her husband takes her body, cuts her up into pieces, and sends pieces to all of Israel to show them what a terrible deed had been done in the town of Binyamin. And here, a Ben of Binyamin, in order to rectify a grave injustice, takes oxen, okay, not a person, oxen, and he cuts them up by Yishlach Bechol Glu Yisrael biyad Hamalachim Lamar. Right? He takes them and he sends them up. In other words, this is sort of a, this whole story is kind of a tikkun. It's a tikkun for the people of Benjamin, a tikkun for the people of Yabesh Gilad. For Shaul himself, it's an opportunity to take his tribe back into the mainstream and to show what they're made of. And he says, And he says, anyone who doesn't come out to fight, to fight Amon, right? And follow after Sha'ol and after Shmuel, this will be done to their cattle. And it's amazing because he's making a demonstration of something that's quite, um, I really feel like it's a tikkun. It's a very, very clear tikkun for the story of Pilegish Begiva. What is, what is the symbolism of getting this cut up ox, right? And I think that, you know, not everyone here is uh, is American. But Americans are certainly familiar with the, you know, the expression, united we stand, divided we fall. And that's the clear symbolism here. This ox can't live if it's cut into pieces. The Jewish people can't survive if they're divided. We have to come together because that's the only way we can live. And if you think you're going to sit on your farmland, like Mordechai tells Esther, you're going to sit there and, and it's going to be okay for you. You're going to sit there and take care of your farm and take care of your animals and nothing's going to happen to you. You're very much mistaken. We all have to go and take care of this problem. It's very, very um, powerful imagery, a powerful metaphor that he gives them. And the Mufarshim asked, why does he mention Shmuel? Right?
1: So the Radak, the Radak says,
0: right, They didn't all accept him as a melech he didn't care what made them go out if you don't want to follow me if you don't follow my kingship follow Shmuel but Rabbi Yaakov has another comment here Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky he says Sha'ul was not sure at this point in time if he is truly a king because it says in Sefer Dvarim that a king has to be you have to accept the king. And since he wasn't unanimously accepted, he doesn't feel like he actually is the king. So according to Yaakov, if Sheol isn't king yet, who's the leader? Shmuel. So he invokes Shmuel. But in the end, it doesn't matter because the people respond to Hashem. This has nothing to do with the leaders or the oxen, or anything else, the fear of God comes on these people and they go out like one man. It's clear to them that God wants them to go out now and follow Shoal and follow Shmuel and fight these terrible, cruel people. And the spirit of God, the fear of God comes on them all. They go out like one man. Now, I want to just point out here before we go into the, the whole counting situation, we have to spend a few minutes on that. Notice the children of Israel counted 300,000 and the men of Yehuda 30,000. This is a fascinating thing that always happens in the Tanakh that Yehuda is always separate. Is that a geographical thing? Because they're in the south, they're not near anybody else. It's not really clear. But the Abarbanel says, and we we talked about this a few times in in Parachet and last Parachet, talking about the Chet and Tet, about Shaul being from Binyam and becoming king, that the king should be from Yehuda. Abarbanel says, and the Ramban says, there's a problem with uh, um, Binyamin having a king, and it's uh, just sort of like a strange sort of, you know um, sideline, and maybe it would have been like this. There should have been Yehuda, but the Bibledel says, Yehuda is the fact that it says, Yehuda," that Yehuda is always counted separately. And there you go. Yehuda is always given the most honor. And there you go, even if they're not the king. And that's what the Abominable says here. So, what is the Magnificent Dame to Bezek? He counted them in Bezek. Okay, so b- there's two explanations here. One is that Bezek is a place, and the other is that Bezek are shards of pottery. So, we're going to go back to the Yuma.
1: The um, Gemara says. Oh. Rabbi here.
0: Um I'm reading the Hilah oh. bar Idi about Mashlul, Keva shezman adam panasa oti bo metashar. May a quote there if the debate was subjective and the my Zeno to milsa, right? It's a very interesting comment, right? So at this point the Gemara says, Shoal counts the people with pieces of pottery. And later on, in chapter 15, it says, he counted them with sheep. So it says he got rich in the meantime. He became king, he got rich. And so what are we told here? It's very interesting. But getting back to our question, why would he count them with Bezek? And...
1: You know, the uh, goes into a long discussion here. Uh, no, okay. It's the it's the a continuation of that page. We have to
0: just understand. if Somebody's not muted. Okay, Gemara goes into a homish discussion. Part of discussion okay the the homish says in parshas kitisa that you have to count people with a half a shekel and you're not allowed to count people and we see this over and over david counts people at the end of shmuel bet and it's a plague and we're not we're told that we're not supposed to count people so the understanding here is that he's instead of counting the people Everyone gives a piece of pottery and he counts a piece of pottery. And that's a whole discussion of the idea of Ayin Hara. And you know, if you count, this might cause people to be jealous and this might be a problem. And how that all works. And that's actually a very long discussion. I'm just raising the idea. We're not supposed to count people. On the other hand, the Dats Mikra takes this basic as a place. Now, this map shows you here Yavish Gilad, right? Here is Giv'a where Shol is. He goes up north. He counts them in Bezek. Uh, There is a place, Bezek, we mentioned at the beginning of um, Sefer Shoftim, that there's a king called Adoni Bezek, that they find him in Bezek, and they kill him. It's a very strange story. Also, one of uh, unusual... Uh, cruelty. You have to understand that he would take, conquer kings, cut off their thumbs and their big toes and make them, you know, uh, scrounge around for scraps under his table. This was the king of Bezek. So there is a place called Bezek. To us, Bezek is the telephone company, and we don't love them, but okay. Anyway, so Bezek here, he counts the people. Now, The war. The war gets like one pasuk. It's very interesting. Oh, we didn't get there yet. Pasuk ten. Shaul says to the messengers who came from Yabesh Gilad, "Tell your people, tomorrow you will be saved by the time it uh, the sun rises." And the messengers went back, and they told the people of Anshayyavash, and they were very happy. And this is astounding, astounding, because it tells us something about Shal's state of mind. He's totally confident. He's totally sure. Shmuel said to him back in chapter 10, after you go through these signs, do what comes to hand because God is with you. And the Spirit has come on him and he feels that God is with him and he's ready to go out there and he's hundred percent certain everyone's with him, God is with him and we will save you by the light of, by the light of the sun tomorrow But the people of Yabish are clever. who are they talking to in Pasuk Yud? they say, tomorrow we going to go out to you and you will do to us all that is good in your eyes, which is kind of, he's not, they're not saying that to Shaul, they're saying that to Nahash. And here you see the cleverness. They say, they are putting him off, um, lulling his suspicion, so to speak, and saying, you know, uh, we give up, tomorrow we're going to come out. And this irony, we will... And you will do to us what's good in your eyes. And the, the use of the word eyes there is very uh strong. But they know, and we know that Sha'ul is on his way. Pasik Yalah. Bahimi Maharat, like I said, the the war gets exactly one pasik, which is interesting. Bahimi macharat, by yasim to amsho Sharashim, by Yavobitoha Machane Bashmora Bokar, by Yakuit Amon Ad Hayom. And it wasn't the following day. Shaul divided his people; he put them into three groups, and they came into the camp in the morning watch, and they struck Amon until the heat of the day. At <speaking in Hebrew> the end, and there were those that remained. They scattered, and they didn't remain. They um, they didn't remain two together. Complete and utter rout. Now. Go back to the map of this. You see here, he's coming here in the morning. Here's the, uh, the camp and they attack from three sides and completely rout the Ammonites. Now, who did he learn this from? It seems to be he learned it from Giddon, because Giddon, when he attacked Midian, he divided his army into three parts. And he attacked from three different directions, and he did it in the middle of the night. What is Ashmorit Haboker? So the not, the night militarily is divided into usually into three watches, and Ashmorit Nushon Shmirah is a watch, um, not the kind you put on your hand, but the guard the guard duty. Let's say. So if we divide the, the night. In from, let's say, 9 to 12, or 12 to 3, and 3 to 6. The Ashmoot would be the Ashmoot Rishonah, the Tihona, Tichonah, that would be the 12 to 3. Ashmoot Boker is from 3 to 6 a.m. They're all sleeping, and they don't expect this. The people of Yahveh had told them, tomorrow we're going to come out to you, meaning we're going to surrender. That's how they understood it. And in the morning... They're completely gone. There's not two left together. And this is a complete and utter victory for Shaul. something magnificent. He's united the nation in a way we haven't seen since perhaps Yoshua's time. They're all in together. They're all on the way. He's, uh, you know, got the support of Akadosh Baruch Hu, support of the Navi. They go in there. They knock the stuffing out of them. And this is... Victory, and the people of Yavish Gilad are saved. The entire nation of Israel is saved, and the response of the people is amazing. The pasuk bet by HaAmel MiHa Omer Who are those people who said rule on In other words, the ones who questioned, the ones at the end of chapter ten said Mayu Sheenu how will this guy save us? He's useless. What are we going to do with him? Right? Well, we want those guys. They come to the prophet, to Yeshua. And they say, Give us those guys. We will kill them. They deserve death. They're rebels, and we are going to kill them. And Shaul's response, Shua Hidgimel. No one will be put to death today because today God has made a salvation in Israel. And this is a very um, noble sounding statement. We love the sentiment. We love the, the forgiveness. And yet what's happening here, we have to really look at it closely. Shoal says, no one really put to death today because today is the day of Hashem's
1: salvation. Okay, fine. What then do we do with these rebels?
0: Do we just forget that that happened? How do we deal with such a situation? So, if you take a look here, um, Bagh has a theory, which it's interesting. No one will die today. Maybe after today, he killed them. Okay, I'm not sure that that actually. Stims with our understanding of Shaul that Shaul was putting them, you know, uh, you know, pushing them off. He said, "You know what? Not today." And then the next day, he kills them. No, nah, I, I don't actually feel that. that this is my opinion. My, I'm humbly taking issue with the Rabban. but he also says, "Al tara tachbulal he takes the opposite tack. The is maybe, maybe Shaul is actually saying no one's going to be put to death today, so that these people will think that he's going to kill them the next day, but they actually will be able to be saved. And it's an interesting question: like, what exactly? What is this good? Is this bad? Right? Now, the Malbim says here. Right? I don't consider that they were rebels against the king. Right? They didn't unanimously accept Shaul until this moment. So previously, and if we're following his thought, he's saying, I'm not accepted by everyone, ergo I'm not a king. Ergo, I do not have to act like a king. Ergo, they're not rebels against the king because of what they said previously. And therefore, he says, I didn't have a din of a king, so they don't have a din of rebels. And therefore, I do not um, they don't deserve the death penalty. Now, the Rambam, when he clarifies the laws of kings, says, killing a rebel is, is vishut. It's not You don't have to kill a rebel. You have the uh, the king has the ability to do that. But the truth of the matter is that Hazal are not happy with him. If we look at the, right? They're like, uh, no, sha'ul you are messing up here. You have to take charge. The reason that Nahash attacked is because you projected weakness. Don't do it again, because then other enemies will attack, which sadly happens. You're projecting weakness. And as a king, you can't do that. So is very down on him here. We have to take a step back and say, what do we do with this Sha'ul? His humility is so inspiring. And on the other hand, it's being criticized. He's humble. He's forgiving. And Hazala is saying, no, 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 no. That's nice, but not now. Not for the king. It's very, it's very interesting. It's also this parrot gives us an amazing contrast between the cruelty of a person like Nafash, the the absolutely unspeakable, you know, evil to just, yeah, I'm just gonna put out everyone's right eye. And we know there's evil people out there. And then the, the mercy of a sha'ul. It's a very strong contrast for us to think about. Right. Okay, Pasuk, Yud Dalid. And Shmuel says to the people, let us go to Gilgal, and there we will renew the kingship. Now, if you remember, Gilgal is that place over here, right over the Jordan, where the Jewish people first came into the land. Why do they go to Gilgal from Yavesh Gilad? It would seem that Gilgal, there are a number of places that the Jews gather, they gather at Mitzpah, right? They gather at Gilgal, why at Gilgal? It would seem that Shmuel is thinking we needed fresh start. Gilgal represents where we started. And in order to begin the, the kingship on the right foot, we need to go to the place where it all started. And that's why. Now the last pasach here. And again, this is just the, you know, I, I, like I told you, the, the uh, Shoal's finest hour. People are, are just in love with Shoal right now. He has made this tremendous Kiddush Hashem. He's routed this terrible, evil, cruel enemy. There's a, a, a tremendous Simcha here, which is really um, quite lovely. They all get together and they sacrifice to God and they all rejoice, which means extremely, extremely happy. Everybody wants Shaul now. So now that Shaul is, is accepted, now he's actually the king. There's no more hesitation. And the next discussion is going to be Shmuel once Shaul is safely and completely on the throne. Now Shmuel is going to take a step down, and that's chapter twelve. Okay, so I'll stop the screen share here, and if anyone has
1: any questions, you open it up for questions. I guess you could have to um, unmute yourselves. I always consider this
0: chapter Shaul's finest hour. I always like this chapter. It's a very um, powerful and beautiful story of unity and um, all the, the threads coming together, all the difficulties of the story of the Pelegish Gibba sort of get, get kind of um, fixed over here. So it's a, um, it's a positive, positive chapter. Yeah. Next week, chapter 12. Bezrat Hashem. Alrighty. I'm thinking that I will take a break after Tisha for two or three weeks. So I will, Bezrat Hashem, put on the chat uh, those dates because I have, um, uh, a little time more from teaching and i need to do a lot of stuff so i'm going to probably take that break at that time all righty okay if no are any questions
1: thanks mom it was great thank you thank you, you so much, much. it's wonderful you. to are.
0: thank you thank you thank
1: you, Fonda, thank you. okay thank you thank you you're muted Okay, guys. Hi, ma'am.
0: Next week there's a class. Next week is a class, and I think then I'll take a break after that. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Okay. We (laughs) Uh, we should go from Abel to Simphalabah.
1: Amen. Okay. Bye. Good night. Bye, Zabi. Bye. Bye, Hannah.